I, I've had people ask me, have you ever seen a miracle? And I said, yeah, very much so. I've seen a lot of them. And then they want me to tell them about some of the miracles I've seen in my life as a priest and just as a Christian. And then I ask them something about their life as a Christian. And uh, uh, have you ever felt close to God? We view all life as throwaway. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, it, it's so easy to throw away a child, um, somebody who was close to death, someone who was poor, homeless. You know, we just neglect all that. It's just a throwaway society. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Think about that. Before we were even formed in the womb, God knew us. Um, it, one of my favorite things to do is the anointing before baptism. You know, it's the rite of exorcism. But what, what else do we pray there? Is you've become a temple of the Holy Spirit that God lives within you. Here's your host. Good evening and welcome. I'm Tony Miller with KCDM, your host for the show this evening. Thanks for joining us for this week's episode of Pastor's Perspective. We are in the 26th week of Ordinary Time, and we'll be previewing the Gospel for Luke for the 27th Sunday of Ordinary Time. This coming Sunday is Respect Life Sunday, and October is Respect Life Month. In honor of that, we'll be talking about the sanctity of life from conception to natural death and how it impacts us. And no, it's not all going to be about abortion, so stay tuned. I'd like to introduce the priest tonight. We have a full table tonight. Father James, welcome. Well, hello. Father Mike. Hello. Father Marty. Hey, everybody. And Father Dennis. Hi, everyone. Uh, uh, welcome, everybody, to the show. Thanks for being here, taking the time. Appreciate it. Uh, in our news and notes tonight, uh, Father James, uh, would you like to talk about the baby priest school? And what, what is the official title of that, anyway? <laughs> so it's not. So I call it the baby priest school. Because it's all the priests ordained in the last five years gather in Des Moines for further education. So it's called the newly ordained convocation. But baby priest school sounds a little more fun and lighthearted. Okay. All right. Very good. Well, how was it? It was an adventure like it always is. You never know what you're going to get. It's like a, it's like a box of chocolates. <laughs> run Forrest run. <laughs> you want to hear an interesting fact about that newly ordained convocation alright in 1996 I was just a little child yes that was the first statewide newly ordained convocation and I was a part of that it was held at American Martyrs Retreat Center in Cedar Falls, Iowa and the sad part is that place is closed. That is true. It is no longer there. It is now a cornfield. Wow. 
Interesting fact. But you have experience with baby priest school. Well, plus when I was vocation director, I was charged of the newly ordained as well, too. So I went as a um, supervisor as well, too. (laughs) (laughs) You did did it every year? We do it every year, except during the COVID time. Oh, okay. That's good. Interesting. Very good. Father Marty, did you want to talk about the uh, parish mission that's coming up in October? We have the parish mission coming. Mike Patton will be here. Um, He'll be here to speak at all the masses the weekend of the 15th, 16th. And then the mission is the 17th, 18th, and 19th. We're going to have food beforehand, music, prayer, and then uh, Mr. Patton will speak for about an hour and 15 minutes each night. So come one, come two, come three nights. But please join us for that out at Saints Mary and Patrick in West Burlington. Is that going to be a different topic every night? Then, yes. Um, <laughs> blessed, broken, and sent are the three nights. Ah, okay. Very good. And I'm uh, I'm going to be trying to get a hold of Mike Patton and doing an interview with him before. That would be great. So, um, hopefully, we'll have something on the radio and the, the Facebook page and the website and um, all over the place. So, Amen. Um, St. Vincent de Paul's feast day is on the 27th. Um, did you want to talk a little bit about the St. Vincent de Paul mission and how the parish supports it? Well, the uh, um, St. Vincent de Paul Society um, helps feed the, uh, the hungry and the, and the poor of our community. It is, um, they use um, our building, but it's pretty well self-funded by the parishioners and um, other outside agencies. And the, uh, the donations and everything is, um, how people support it is just wonderful. Vincent de Paul, his feast days on Tuesday, he renewed the clergy, defended the poor and the abandoned. He founded the Daughters of Charity with St. Louise, and he preached against Janicism. He's the patron of charities, hospitals, and prisoners, and of Madagascar. So that's close to Tanzania, isn't it? Yeah. All right. How did you know that? Well, I've got the order right here on my phone, so that's great. So, yeah. And I'd also, I'd also encourage, like, if anyone's interested in joining, you know, and helping out St. Vincent Paul, you know, to give Larry Chris a call or to give the parish office a call. I know they always need help, you know, working the food pantry from 1 to 3, Monday through Friday. Um, they're trying to exploring, maybe doing an evening session um, for those individuals, you know, who might work during the day. Um, so if you'd be interested or willing to help with that, you know, go ahead and give us a call. We can get you set up with the right people. Amen. Very good. Uh, is there anything else news newsworthy or noteworthy that you need to get out in front of the people? Nope. That's about it. All right. Well, uh, Father Marty, then you have our opening prayer for this evening. I do. So we come together in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Eternal Father, source of, of life, open our hearts to see and desire the beauty of your plan for life and love. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that our love will be generous and self-giving and we may be blessed with joy. Grant us great trust in your mercy. Forgive us for not receiving your gift of life and heal us from the effects of the culture of death. Instill in us and in all people a sense of the sacredness of every human life. Inspire our efforts to protect and care for the most vulnerable, especially women who are pregnant and their unborn children, the sick and the elderly. Strengthen us in the hope that with you nothing is impossible. We ask this in the name of Jesus, who by his cross makes all things new. Amen. Amen. Our Lady of Guadalupe, Mother of Life. 
pray, pray for, for us. us in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Marty. You're very welcome. And tonight, the posse will discuss Luke's gospel for the 27th Sunday of Ordinary Time, and that's chapter 17, verses 5 through 10. In this reading, the apostles ask Jesus to increase our faith. Jesus responds that it's not the quality of faith, but how you use what faith you have that matters. And Father Dennis, you're going to uh, read the gospel tonight? Yes, sir. The apostles said to the Lord, Increase our faith. The Lord replied, If you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you would say to this marble tree, Be uprooted and planted in the sea, and it would obey you. Who among you would say to your servant, who has just come in from plowing or tending sheep in the field. Come here immediately and take your place at the table. Would he not rather say to him, Prepare something for me to eat? Put on your apron and wait on me while I eat and drink. You may eat and drink when I am finished. Is he grateful to that servant because he did what was commanded? So should it be with you. When you have done all you have been commanded, say, We are unprofitable servants. We have done what we are obliged, what we were obliged to do the gospel of the Lord. Praise, Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you, Father Dennis. A kind of a short gospel tonight. The apostles' request of increase our faith is a pretty tall order and almost sounds like a demand, doesn't it? Are they being kind of bold with Jesus or is it just a, a humble request? I think it's a it's both, in a sense. I think they're finally realizing the importance of faith. You know, we always have believed that without faith, it's impossible to please God. I think the apostles, in, in associating themselves with the Lord, they've already seen some miracles now. They've seen the crowds that he draws. They want to believe. They have a great desire to believe. But they know that it takes more than just a desire to be able to believe. And so they say, increase our faith. Make it more, uh, not just in quantity, but in quality as well. They're really more trying to understand. Sure, absolutely. I think they are also eager to be like Jesus. Because they see what Jesus is doing out of faith. He's doing wonders, he's doing miracles. And they feel like if we could be like him, that would make a lot of deal. So they are just asking Jesus to increase their faith. But as you know, faith is a gift. And it is, it is not something you acquire just like that. It is even a gradual process to acquire faith, to get faith, to be deep in faith. It takes a long time. 
We see a little of this today, I think, in our own life, in our own ministry, is that people will say to us, I wish I could believe like you believe. That's the same way in a modern way of saying increase our faith. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so it, it takes more, just like Father Dennis just said. It's not something you can learn. It's not something that you get as, as, as something you deserve. It's a gift. It's a free gift from God, the ability to believe. But it's also something we have to work on, isn't oh, it? Oh, well, absolutely. It isn't something that you just give a gift and it's there 100%. No. And, and you uh, can lose it, too. You can lose it by denying it or by ignoring it, by not fostering it. Okay. So if we do have faith, how many of us are confident enough in our faith to share it with others, to share that gift? Not very many. Because <laughs> I think oftentimes, like when it comes to evangelization, like kind of falls into kind of an idea of clericalism from the from the people's point of view. They look for you know the priest or maybe the really holy people in the parish. Like you guys go out there and you know, spread the good news. But one of the one of the dismissals the priest can say at the very end, or the deacon can say, is, "Go and announce the gospel of the Lord." Mm-hmm. How well do we? as you know, as parishioners, go out and spread that good news? Or is it, well, Father, that, that's your job, Father. Like, I'm going to go to work. I work my job 40 hours a week. But you only work on Sunday, so you got plenty of time <laughs> the rest of the week to go out and do, do the heavy lifting for us. <laughs> it takes us all working together. Each and every one of us has a special role in the mystical body of Christ. Are you willing to step up and do it? But aren't we all priests in the church? When we're baptized, aren't we? Don't we become a priest in the church? Just, just well, not like you, but I mean, we have an obligation to spread the faith too, right? Mm-hmm. You're baptized as a priest, prophet, and a king. How well do you fulfill those missions? You know, how well do you spread the good news as a prophet? How well do you offer sacrifice as a priest? Mm-hmm. And how well do you look out for the poor, the lowly, as a king? Yeah, I think it is a challenge to our church because. When you, you go in big towns, even in other places, you can see people holding the Bible, trying to preach to people their faith. In other places, they go to door to door, trying to convince people. I think we, we need also to, to do something and just share what we have and share our faith with others. So the, the gospel mentions an unpro- un- unprofitable servants. Aren't we also unprofitable servants if we're just meeting our basic church obligations? You know, I go on Sunday, I'm there, that's that's what I need to do. Um, are we being unprofitable servants if we're not going above and beyond? I think for many of us in today's society, unfortunately, you know, there's a lot of things that get our attention, you know, sports, fantasy, football, whatever it might be. And when it comes to faith, we're just looking like, how do I check the box? How do I do what I have to do to say that I'm a Catholic? And we fall into that unprofitable servant because in reality, we're, we're not looking at it in the right sense. We're not looking at building that relationship with God. We're looking at how do I check this box, whether it's to get a discount at Notre Dame, whether it's to keep faith, you know, keep face with my family and saying, Oh, I'm still a Catholic, whatever it might be. It's we're easily tempted by the devil in today's world to do the bare minimums with our faith but to still say, oh, yeah, I'm a strong Catholic. And also sometimes I think 
we lack confidence in our faith, and uh, some people might be even afraid to share their faith because they are not able to defend what they believe. So that also might be another challenge why people decide maybe to keep quiet. And I think there's another way we can look at this too. You know, when when uh, Jesus says, you know, um, we are unprofitable servants, and and it's it's one of those things. And I think it's in Matthew's gospel, or it's in Mark. Maybe it's in Luke. I don't know. Um, but uh, you know, <laughs> Peter says, you know, Lord, we've given up everything to follow you. What's in it for us? And and I think that sometimes you know we look at faith and say, what's in it for us? Instead of maybe what's in it for me to give glory to God, but also to love God and to love my neighbor. Mm-hmm. You know, so often, um, and I'm going to get in trouble here, but I'm going to go ahead and say it. One of the things that, um, well, well, no, I mean, you know, we require for our confirmation kids 15 hours of service. Mm-hmm. Why? Why do we require 15 hours of service? Because, you know, and I'm not, and I'm not faulting the, the kids, but, you know, I've had two of them come up to me in the last three days. Well, Father, I'm, I'm looking forward to the confirmation. I got my 15 hours done. <laughs> you know, it's almost like, well, you know, what's in it for me? You're going to get confirmation because I've done 15 hours. And, and in and of itself, I think service needs to be, you know, that we are called to serve God. We're called to serve one another, and it's not always about me. Mm-hmm. It's not what I can get out of it. It's not a mark on the scoreboard. Yeah, and that 15 hours should just be a good start. Yes. Yeah, but I don't get a trophy. I don't get a participation. I don't get an athletic banner. I don't, I don't get a silver cord at graduation. I don't get a silver cord. I know. You know, I, I don't get, you know, this <clears throat> bigger paycheck or maybe this, you know, fancy toy or something. I don't have anything I can really show off to my friends. Yeah. And that's the, and that's the hard part of it in today's society. And, and I want to, you know, you, um, I looked at the first reading and I'm still trying to figure out how the first reading goes in with the gospel for this Sunday, but I won't go into (laughs) that, but I want to read the second reading to you, if that's okay. Cause I think it says a little bit of, of what we're talking about. And it's Paul's letter to Timothy. It's second letter. He's in prison. He says, Beloved, I remind you to stir in the flame the gift of God that you have through the imposition of my hands. For God did not give us a spirit of cowardice, as you know, Father Dennis, thank you, but rather of power and love and self-control. So do not be ashamed of your testimony to our Lord, nor of me, a prisoner for his sake, but bear your share of hardship for the gospel with the strength that comes from God. Take as your norm the sound words that you heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. Guard this rich trust with the help of the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. Because we are called to guard the rich deposit of faith that we have. Mm -hmm. We're called to share it. And at the end of the day, we just basically say, you know, hey, I'm an unprofitable servant. I've done what I've been commanded to do. Yeah, but I don't want to bear my share of hardship for the gospel. I want this to be easy. I want to be. I want to be already with the resurrection. I don't want to go through Good Friday. Yeah, but you tell me where in the Gospels—Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John—where Jesus ever said it was going to be easy. <laughs> 
My mom used to remind me. <laughs> so often. She actually gave me, um, and I, I wish I still had it. It's a, it was a little stitch thing. And it was actually a line from the TV show MASH when, God forbid, you know, that, that this would be easy. <laughs> and even sometimes we feel like when I share my faith maybe with another person who doesn't share the faith like my faith, we, we have that tendency of feeling like I'm going to offend him or her. And we end up just not doing it and enjoying our comfort zone because of that kind of mentality. But mm-hmm. really, the mission we have from Jesus himself is to go out and proclaim the good news. Mm-hmm. I've always been impressed in the last half century. I'm amazed that I can say that honestly now. In the last half <laughs> century of baptizing babies and being present at confirmations and even confirming once in a while in the bishop's absence, I've always been impressed with the readings for the baptism and then for the confirmation. And you see the growth that's taken place in these people. Originally, confirmation was given at baptism. It was mm-hmm. given right at the little baby or the young person. And now over history, because of different developments, it's separated. There's a big effort to get it closer together now. But regardless of that, you know, it's the church tells us what God expects of us in these readings and in, in, in these prayers of these various sacraments. And when you the church kind of consecrates that little baby or that young person or that older person who's being baptized, as you, you are you are now a member of Christ himself. And then in confirmation, you're being confirmed in that membership and there are and you have to be made aware of the great gifts and the great fruits of the Holy Spirit that mm-hmm. come down upon you. And I always think to myself that we we don't do it deliberately. But we kind of shortchange people, I think, with the sacraments because we don't, we don't give them a deeper awareness of how powerful that is. You know, we're, we're supposed to be vehicles of God's very grace in this world. And uh, then for some reason, I don't know why, but I've been reflecting on the fig tree today. I don't, I don't like figs to begin with. But I was thinking about our Lord when he was hungry and he went to the fig tree and there was no fruit there. And he cursed the fig tree because it didn't produce what it was supposed to produce. And I kind of worry a little bit, maybe worry is too strong a word, but I'm concerned that maybe we're a little bit like that those that fig tree that we're not producing. He's never going to curse us, mm. but he's going to be disappointed in us if we do, don't produce what we're supposed to produce. Yeah, and I think I think people get hung up when you talk about evangelization. I think people get hung up in, you know, the, the Protestants are always really good about quoting chapter and verse and, in you know, chapter and verse and the, this is the mustard seed, you know. And I, I think if people, we all have a story about our faith. We all have a story about our relationship yeah. with God. And all we need to do is tell people that story. And tell people that relationship that you have and your experience with Jesus. And a lot of times that's what people want to hear. Sure. All the time. You know, when you, I've had people ask me, have you ever seen a miracle? And I said, yeah, very much so. I've seen a lot of them. And then they want me to tell them about some of the miracles I've seen in my life as a priest and just as a Christian. And then I asked them something about their life as a Christian and, uh, 
uh, have you ever felt close to God? <laughs> they always have an answer. Nobody says, oh, no, I never have. They always have an answer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, Father James, you made a comment earlier, too, where, you know, you said that, you know, evangelization is usually up to us holy people, you know. <laughs> and, well, you know, and, and that, and, and I was thinking of that because as we're taping this, um, tomorrow is the feast day of one of my favorite saints, St. Saint Padre Pio. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I always would love to have the gifts that Padre Pio had, maybe minus the stigmata. I'm not sure I want that. <laughs> but, uh, okay, they just didn't show up either. Yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, um, but, you know, we've already had a, a Padre Pio. You know, and it's like when people say, well, I, I wish I could be more like Mother Teresa. Well, we've already had a Mother Teresa. Right. And I'm going to quote her later on in the, our topic, too. You know, what we need is um, we need a Marty Getz. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, we need a, uh, you know, a Mike Phillips, a uh, James Flattery, a Dennis, and I'm not even going to try it because I'll butcher your last name. Um, <laughs> well, come on, try it. That's a oh, Malanga. You know, but, um, you know, what we, what God needs is us to use the gifts that he's given us to stir them in the faith and to share that gift with one another. We do that. There's the miracle. Absolutely. I remember when I was lucky enough, fortunate, blessed enough to make a retreat under Bishop Fulton J. Sheen before he died, a couple of years before he died. And uh, he made a special point to all the priests in the audience. He said, whatever you do, gentlemen, he said, don't try to be Fulton J. Sheen. He said, thank God there's only one Fulton J. Sheen. (laughs) uh, So that really impressed me a lot. Can I tell one of my favorite stories of Padre Pio, though? It's real quick. Yeah. It's because I'm going to use it tomorrow at mass somehow. I'm not quite sure how yet. But this was back in the 60s when the Red Brigade was in Rome a lot. You know, mm-hmm. and people would um, were, were fearing for their safety, so they started carrying pictures of Padre Pio to protect them. And one day, Padre Pio was asked to go to Rome for something, and one of his brothers said, well, aren't you afraid to go there? And he goes, no, I've got a picture of Padre Pio. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, with that, we will go ahead and wrap up our discussion on Sunday's Gospels. Uh, For those who are just tuning in, we are talking with Father Dennis, Father Marty, Father Mike, and Father James, uh, and they have uh, gathered around the table tonight. If you've just joined us, thanks for tuning in. We're happy you joined us. If you like what you're hearing, tell somebody about the show. This week, in honor of Respect for Life Sunday, the second half of the show we will be uh, will be a discussion about respecting life from conception to natural death and some of the ways our society has failed to uphold that basic human right. Let's start by noting that respect of life is not just about abortion. There's also the death penalty, euthanasia, and the ethics of end-of-life care, to name a couple others. Let's start with abortion and get that out of the way. Sound like a deal? Ready or not, here we go. (laughs) But before we start, I'm going to read from the Catechism, 2258. All right. Okay. Human life is sacred because from its beginning, it involves the creative action of God 
and it remains forever in a special relationship with the Creator, who is its sole end. God alone is the Lord of life from its beginning until its end. No one can under any circumstance claim for himself the right directly to destroy an innocent human being. Well, there, that's enough for that discussion. Let's move on to <laughs> <laughs> yeah. and then well, that's the whole life. That's the whole life. It's the whole life. That pretty much sums it up, doesn't it? Yep. I was just going to ask what the formal teaching of the Church on Life is, and I guess we pretty much know it. That's it, don't we? Right there. Yeah. All life, all life is sacred. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it's wonder, you, you, when we were preparing this shortly before we went on the air, um, you asked the question, how did we get to this place where we can actually say an unborn child is liable not to be allowed to be born, you know, to mm-hmm. be killed? And that's a good question. I think we have to reflect on that a little bit. How did we get there? Um, and, you know, there's just been, we've been kind of neutralized in our appreciation of the wonder of life. We see that today in the crime problem. You know, I'm, I like to go to New York. I like to go to Chicago. I like to go to Kansas City and St. Louis. But I have second thoughts sometimes when I'm thinking about going to these places just for fear of walking down the street. Even here in Burlington, Iowa, at night, when I drive my car around, um, I wonder, is, is there somebody out there with a gun that might use me as target practice or something? I mean, that's not a terrible fear, you know, it won't stop me from driving. But uh, that whole business of just going out and, and driving or walking around without any fear of harm, mm-hmm. uh, that's gone. Well, we've even, I mean, there have even been discussions in legislatures and states around the country uh, about if a baby survives an abortion attempt, should they be rendered aid? So even after the baby's born, they're saying, oh, well, yeah, hang on a minute. They, they, they were, we were going to abort the baby anyway, so do we, do we aid the baby or do we let the baby die? The former governor of Virginia is on record as saying that very thing. We make the baby, if there is a, a botched abortion and the baby is somehow mistakenly born alive, we make it comfortable, and then we figure out how we will proceed with the procedure. Mm-hmm. Terrible. Unbelievable. And, you know, you said, how did we get here? And this is my thought only. I'm no expert. you have a problem, 502 West Mount Pleasant Street, West Burlington, <laughs> Iowa, 52655, care of Father Marty. But for me, and I don't know when it began, but somewhere in the last 50 years or so, we view all life as throwaway. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it, it's so easy to throw away a child, um, somebody who was close to death, someone who was poor, homeless. You know, we just neglect all that. It's just a throwaway society. And, and I preached this last year um, on, on Respect Life Sunday. And, you know, I was playing in a golf tournament and I was riding around with a, a gentleman and he said, and he knew I was a priest. And he said, you know, Father, do you think that if, if Roe v. Way is overturned, will that make a difference in our country? And I said, no, it won't. And he looked at me like, okay. I thought that was the company line. And I said, <laughs> until 
we value life as not throwaway, law's not going to change the human heart. Yeah. And until we change hearts right. that says all life is sacred, we're going to continue to have these discussions. Right. And it's that it, it's not just a spiritual argument. It's not just a religious argument either. Can't we make a, an argument against abortion without the Bible? Talk a little bit about uh, natural law versus spiritual law and how that Im- impacts the, the conception. You know, life begins at conception, um, especially with the changes in technology that we've had since 1973 when this when uh, Roe versus Wade was passed. We can go back uh, certainly to the period of the Greeks, but we can go back further than that if you want to. But uh, the Hippocratic Oath says it very easily, you know, that all doctors take. I presume they still take it before they are given their MD. And that is, in all things I will do no harm. And in the original Hippocratic Oath, it spells out, I will will not participate in an abortion. Uh, We've forgotten that, you know. And we've gone downhill ever since. Yeah, I wanted to, 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 to say something about the question you have asked that uh, can we talk abortion without even talking the Bible? I think it might be even be hard because the Bible is our foundation. And when you talk about creation, you talk about the work of God. So creating a human being is not something <coughs> It is the plan of God that every human being is created by God. So, if you admit that, you cannot do abortion because that means you go against the will of God. You go against the plan of God. So the history, I mean, the story of creation, which is in the Bible, gives us a foundation on why abortion is, is sinful, evil, and also what I find intriguing is, is like, so let's say, let's say hypothetical, Father Phillips is out for a Sunday drive at, at night, you know, he's, he's trying to avoid, you know, crime and he jumps up on the sidewalk and strikes some, you know, an individual that's, that's pregnant and kills her. Well, he's not going to get charged with only one count of homicide. He's going to be charged with two counts of homicide. Right. It's intriguing that if you strike and kill someone who is pregnant, you get two counts of homicide. But yet, somehow, it's okay, though, to kill that human being and not have a homicide. Is it like that? It is. Mm-hmm. So, Father Dennis, if you go out drinking and you strike, you know, someone's car and there's a pregnant woman in the car and she dies, you'll be charged with two counts of vehicular homicide. So, it's intriguing that we respect life at that point, but we look at it and say, well, if she doesn't want it or if you have the boyfriend. If, it's husband, in, if life is inconvenient, like yeah. Father Marty was saying before. that if, then, then we're going to look the other way and say, well, okay. Yeah. And, and I think, too, you know, that, you know, we can go back, you know, far. You know, we go back into the first book of the Bible, you know, when, um, you know, uh, Cain takes Abel's life. You know, his blood cried out from the earth. Mm-hmm. So we've always been fighting this, you know, or, you know, kind of that respect for life. But then let's bring it into our own country. Life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. 
in the Declaration of Independence. And this the phrase gives three examples of the unalienable rights which the Declaration says have been given to all humans by their creator and which governments are created to protect. And what is the first one? Life. Absolutely. There's been a recent focus on the abortion question since the June Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization decision from the Supreme Court. And that decision overruled the 1973 Roe v. Wade decision and the 1992 Planned Parenthood versus Casey decision. And, and those decisions created a right to abortion. It said that there was a right to abortion in the Constitution. The Dobbs decision ruled that the Constitution does not confer a right to abortion and returned the decision back to the states, which is where it was in 1973 when it was first passed. This allows it to be decided closer to the people. One of the things everybody is saying is that the ruling made abortion illegal. Does the Dobbs ruling make abortion illegal? No, you can get an abortion in Iowa. As long as it's before 20 weeks. Right. So basically it returned the decision back to the states. And so each individual state, if the residents of Iowa decide that we're going to have no abortion at all and they vote to have that that way, then Iowa bans abortion and there's no abortions in Iowa. That's not the way it is now. But there are some states in the country that have done that. But there are also the Californias and the Chicago's and the New York's where you can abort a baby up till birth. And so those rules are still in place too. So it hasn't changed the legality of abortion at all. It's taking it from the federal level and giving the decision back to the state. Back to the state. So you right. kind of look at like subsidiarity coming back more to the local level. And many legal scholars agree that the 73 Roe decision was just simply bad law. Uh, You hear people saying that the Supreme Court has, this is unprecedented, the Supreme Court has never overruled, uh, you know, never reversed a bad decision. And that's just not true either. Because the, um, uh, the decision to reverse slavery um, um, I can't remember the name of the case right now. It's not, I had it on my tongue, but I can't remember it. And then also the Plessy versus Ferguson ruling that ended segregation, um, and, you know, removed the, the blacks and whites segregated in the church or not church in the schools and everything. What happened to legal safe and rare, which was a talking point of the Clinton administration in the nineties? How did we get to abortion on demand from legal, safe, and rare? Well, it's never safe. (laughs) Somebody is always killed. I don't mean to make fun of that, but somebody's always killed in an abortion, successful abortion. Sometimes two people are killed in that abortion. It's never safe, and it's not rare. Quite obviously, 60, what is it now, 63, 64 million abortions have occurred since 1973. In this country alone, whether it's legal or not, you know, as that's what we've been talking about, uh, depending on what happens in the various legislative bodies and all that kind of stuff. But uh, uh, that's a fallacy, too. You were speaking earlier about how Planned Parenthood itself was founded on this whole idea of helping a pregnant woman 
you know, uh, through her difficulty, and this was the inception of, of all of this effort to make abortion a law, uh, a legal, not, not a law, but it's a legally recognized. And yet we see that a lot of the stuff that was involved in that decision was just plainly a lie from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. And so I think uh, we just have to recognize that there are a lot of forces that are, that are present here. From a spiritual standpoint, I as a priest can see the hand of the evil one in this, you know, that the devil is the father of lies and it's something that is horrendous as killing an unborn child. You know, the devil's got his hand in it and he certainly has in this. Yeah, I, I want also to contribute from the demographic point of view. This is a kind of culture of death. Mm-hmm. And uh, the consequences are very, very enormous. Why? If you look at the society, for example, now here, you see a big number of the the aged people, the elderly, and the lower number of the kids. So what does it imply? It implies that the, demographically the future is not good because if you don't have a foundation, how can you have a future in terms of population? So that is also a challenge which is related to the catch of death. And, and I want to piggyback on that because you have to remember that I was, I was taught at Mundelein Seminary when Cardinal Bernadine was there. And I know there, were, there are some that don't respect Cardinal Bernadine and that, and that's fine. But one of the things that Cardinal Bernadine proposed was the seamless garments when it comes to life issues. And he gets that from, you know, that they did not want to split Jesus's tunic. It was a seamless garment. Right. And so, and I know that right now we're talking about one issue in the, in the culture of life. And that is the right to life, the abortion issue, which is very, very important. It is primary. But when we talk about a culture of life, we have to take all of these life issues and and see them mm-hmm. as they are from God, a right to life from God. And, you know, we have to look at it, you know, and I know we're going to talk about death penalty and euthanasia, but I also think we need to take it a step further, too, is how do we care, you know, St. Vincent de Paul, how do we care for the poor? How do we care for the homeless? That's a life issue. Mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, one of the big things today, um, and I've been accused that I preach more on this than I do on abortion, but I see it as a life issue too, is, is the, um, the killing with guns, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not saying here tonight and please, um, please listen to what I say. I am in no way calling for an appeal of the second amendment. Okay. For the right to bear arms. What I'm saying is we need to look at the root cause. Right. Are we investing in mental health? Are we investing in background checks? And that doesn't mean that something's not going to fall through the cracks. Don't get me wrong. But we've got to start to do something. I think the, the Dodds decision was a step in the right direction. But our work is not done yet if we're going to build a culture of life. So let me clear this up. Okay. So you would argue that gun violence is the same 
level of importance as, a, as an abortion. No, I didn't. No. What I'm saying is, is that we have to look at it in a seamless garment. That it's that all that all life issues are connected. Correct. Okay. But what I'm but what I said just a little bit earlier is that the right to life, the abortion is primary. And until we change hearts, that we see life, especially in the womb, the most vulnerable, you know, until we respect that, then everything else isn't going to fall into place. You know, we're going to pick and choose. But yeah, you're, well, am I making sense there, Father James? Am I clearing that up? Yeah, because I got the interpretation we're arguing more for, yes, we need to focus on abortion, but we need to focus on gun violence, this other stuff, where it's like, I kind of think of, if we can't work on the abortion piece, like, we'd be an innocent children that can't even see the light outside of, day. of the womb. Right. But I think the gun violence, I, I and, and I think kind of what, what I got out of what you said is the, the gun violence goes back to what we were saying about the devaluation of life. Right. And it's like Father Dennis said, we're in a culture of death right now. Right. You know, and what we need to do is change hearts. And it starts with that we see that child in the womb as a gift from God. You know, and, and think about it. I'll, I'll, I'll bring out two scriptures that I think, are, or I'll bring out three that I think are very important here. Number one, you know, Jeremiah, verse one, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Mm -hmm. Think about that. Before we were even formed in the womb, God knew us. And the second one is Psalm 139, you know, where I knit you in my, in your mother's womb. God is the creator. God knitted us. Right. You know, and I'll take it into the baptism one because one of my favorite, um, it, one of my favorite things to do is the anointing before baptism. Mm -hmm. You know, it's the rite of exorcism. But what what else do we pray there? Is you've become a temple of the Holy Spirit, that God lives within you. But we're not afraid now, you know, in in some case, in a lot of cases, not to see that. We don't see the beauty of the Creator in what God has created in the womb. And until we see that, none of this rest of the stuff's gonna make sense. So how do we how do we help people to move that direction? would you say, in today's society? I think that we need to help people see that all life is sacred, but it starts in the womb. How would, how? You, how would you suggest we get there? You know what I mean? Because, like, right. I think that's the problem we suffer is, like, we as Catholics all understand, you know, the, the preciousness of life, but how do we get, you know, in a society that is growing, you know, in a new story, by 27, 2070, Christianity will be in the minority. They'll right. be under 50%. Mm -hmm. How do we help society, which is falling farther away from God, to understand the value and the importance of life? I think a lot of it is our witness, you know, and, and one of the things, you know, when the Dobbs decision came down, now, you know, we've, we've taken the step, but now we've got to, for lack of a better term, we've talked the talk. Now we've got to walk the walk. Mm -hmm. So what are we going to do? And it was a conversation we were having before we came on the air. You know, how are we going to support mothers and fathers through this? Mm -hmm. Are we there for them? Right. And I think that's a lot of it. It's how we're going to give witness to it now. There is a Senate idea which comes in my mind. We are talking about abortion, but for me, I see like abortion is the outcome of something else. Mm -hmm. To just like 
a result of something. So we we are not discussing so much about the causes, for example. We said just a lack of uh, deep faith and trust in God, that is one. But also I wanted to add another one, maybe the level of how people engage in procreation or illegal, maybe hedonic behaviors also can contribute. Yeah, yeah and I, I think the the if it feels good, do it generation back in the 60s and the um, introduction of birth control, the birth control pill into society, that started the downs, downward slide. I know there were abortions back in the 50s, but it really started to become more prevalent and in the 60s when the, when the, the generation started the whole women's liberation and, and if it feels good, do it and everything. I, I think the other thing that's prevalent is the attack on the family. Mm-hmm. Um, if you look at fatherhood in the homes today, uh, and it, it's not it's not racial, it's not white, it's not black, it's not Hispanic, it's all families. Um, in the 50s and 60s, I think it was, what, 17, 18% of families didn't have a father in the house. And today it's, what, 60, 70%, 50? I know it's over 50% of, of households don't have a father in the house. And when you when you dismantle the family like that, there's no quicker way to devalue life than uh, having kids growing up without a father in the house. So Yeah, for example, when you say, my body, my choice. Right. That can affect so many things, even including that of uh, becoming pregnant, because it is my body, I can use it as I want, and the consequences can be too much. And I, and I think it's something we talked about before, and if I'm wrong here, just edit this out, please, Tony. <laughs> if I'm going into... Scandal or um, heresy here. <laughs> no, that's usually you know. me. <laughs> <laughs> but we usually ask, you know, what do I want? What do I gain from this? Right. Do we ask, what does God want? I think you've mentioned that many times before too, Father James. Do we do we ask, you know, is the you know what is God's will for me? So often, I feel like we've instead of looking out at our brothers and sisters. We've grown into a civilization that looks downward at ourselves, at our phones. It's all about me, convenience. I want to watch this on TV. I go onto YouTube TV, Hulu, whatever these things. And we all look for, what's in it for me? Convenience. Oh my gosh, I'm going to have this child. It's going to ruin my career. I have these big dreams of working in a corner office. I'm just going to take the easy way out, or so I think. Mm-hmm. And then now you're left with the pain, the scars for the rest of your life. And there's something too, I think we need to, um, I think we need to emphasize tonight too, you know, because so often when we, when we talk about the sin of abortion, you know, we have to remember the other aspect as well too, is that we have to walk with people who have committed the sin of abortion. And, you know, I, I've, I've heard it many times. I've tried to walk with people, especially in the sacrament of reconciliation. Mm-hmm. I know the, the guilt that is there. But I also think that, you know, it's not that, hey, I can go do whatever I want. It's about me, 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 because I know God's going to forgive me because it's presumption then. 
you know, but we also have to realize is that when people, you know, do that is that we, but we do have a merciful God Mm -hmm. who does forgive. There is consequences to our actions, but we also have a God that forgives. Just like canon law tells us, 1398, a person who procures an abortion incurs a latte sentia excommunication. And it used to be before Pope Francis that you could not get that lifted by an ordinary priest, your excommunication. But Pope Francis has since given that faculty yes. to all priests in the sacrament of reconciliation. And isn't there, is it, is it Rachel's ministry? That Project Rachel. Project Rachel. That, that ministers to women yes. who have had abortions and men mm-hmm. too. Yes. Can't men contact them too? And, mm-hmm. uh, because it's in some of these instances, it's not just the woman who is affected by the abortion. Right. Uh, if you, if you're struggling with abortion and uh, reach out to Project Rachel, uh, and there's a 800 phone number, I'll try and see if I can come up with that and maybe put it on the website. When, and I, I didn't want the entire program to focus on abortion. And uh, at this point, we were going to move on to the death penalty and euthanasia and end-of-life care. But uh, we are rapidly running out of time. So I think we'll turn this into a two-parter and pick up where we left off next week. Uh, the impact of euthanasia, uh, end-of-life care, uh, the death penalty, And then we'll talk about a little bit of the uh, positive things of people working in the background to help mothers choose life for their babies. Um, And just a real quick, um, Project Rachel, the the phone number, the national um, helpline is 1-800-456-HOPE-4673. There's also a local number for the diocese. It's 1-888. Oh, it is now. Okay. I'm going on the diocesan website. It's says 1-800. Come on. On their official website. So it's 888-456-HOPE. And then HOPE. Okay. And then locally, it's 563-333-4107. Okay. I'll post those numbers up on the website when I uh, post the show. Uh, With that, Father Mike, uh, do you have a uh, closing blessing for us? I hope so. Yeah. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen. Heavenly Father, we thank you for giving us the grace to deal in kind of a a significant way tonight in these very great and important issues of our time. We ask you the same thing as the apostles did. Increase our faith. Give us the grace to, to be deeply rooted in your love. Help us to realize the immensity of your great mercy and make us worthy of that, regardless of what has happened to us in the past. We ask all of this through our Lord Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the unity of the Holy Spirit, God forever and ever. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Father Mike. Well, I'd like to thank you all for sticking with us to the end. Our discussion of life issues and particularly abortion has come to an end, but we will have another show next week. As a footnote, I'd like to just mention that while I was researching information for the show, uh, I came upon the information. uh, uh, Jane Rowe's real name was Norma McCorvey. She never had an abortion and she never entered a courtroom regarding Roe versus Wade. 
I found that interesting that she was uh, basically used as a pawn. She was pregnant and only signed the affidavit in Texas as the lead plaintiff for the Roe versus Wade case for free beer and pizza because she was hungry at the time. She found out about the legalization of abortion in the newspaper like everyone else. She was never contacted by the lawyers again after signing the affidavit. In fact, had she actually testified in the case, uh, the case might have been lost. In 1998, she was received into the Catholic Church and spent the rest of her life promoting the pro-life movement. She actually had three children. The third uh, she gave away for adoption. Uh, she died on February 18th of 2017, just short of her 70th birthday. So I find it interesting that she started out as a proponent for abortion and then uh, had a conversion, became Catholic, and spent the rest of her life speaking and promoting pro-life. That was uh, interesting to me. I didn't know that about her. So, Pastor's Perspective for next week, the 28th Sunday in Ordinary Time. We'll stay in chapter 17 in Luke's Gospel, and we will also be picking up the second part of our Respect Life discussion, which is kind of appropriate because October is actually Respect Life Month, so uh, leading over into October won't hurt anything at all. Until next week, remember, God loves you and has a plan for your life. Jesus Christ died to save everyone, so go forth and share your story. If you have fallen away from the Catholic Church, we invite you to come back to Mass. Consider this a personal invitation. Give the angels a reason to rejoice. I'd like to thank the priests again tonight, Father Dennis, thank you. Thank you, everyone. Father Marty. Thanks for joining us. Father Mike. Thank you. And Father James, good to have you back again. Thank you, Tony. Did you miss us? I did. I, I wasn't sure what this was all about. I had missed for <laughs> several weeks in a row now. <laughs> I don't know if I got kicked off the show yet. Yeah, yeah. Well, we threatened last week, but it didn't happen. <laughs> you can always text me and ask me what the topic is if you need to. <laughs> uh, I'd also like to thank the listeners for tuning in tonight. Please join us again next week on the radio. Listen on the website at kcdmradio.org or go to tunein.com to listen to the podcast. Until then, life is short and precious. Don't take it for granted, for you know not the hour or the day. Please join us again next week. Thank you and good night. You can hear Pastor's Perspective every evening at 9 o'clock after the rosary on KCDM. You can also pick up the show at 5 p.m. on Saturdays and 2 p.m. on Sundays. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the show. 